Thank you for joining us for the podcast of Conduit Church. We're a community of Christ followers committed to action. We meet in the Thompson Station area just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about what's going on with Conduit here in the Nashville area or around the world, please go to conduitmission.org. Would you guys welcome Mike Coop? Mike. In the years that I've uh, served in this role, I mean, I was an artist manager. I'm actually a recovering artist manager. I don't know if you have 12 steps for that, but I, uh, Mike has been a voice of counsel for me and in, in a, 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 an example of what it means to, to see a problem and actually to do something about it. You know, in the church, a lot of times we're going to have a prayer group and we're going to pray about it. I'm not saying prayer is not important. But I also don't want it to be an excuse for not doing something. And what Mike did was saw a problem in our society and, uh, and did something. And it didn't start there, right? Before you were a place of hope, you were a young man. Tell us your Jesus story. I, uh, I grew up in a middle-class Catholic home. And uh, we, I went to church a lot but didn't know anything about personal relationship with Jesus. And uh, I was very uh, rebellious as a kid. Uh, The first time I moved, uh, today they call it running away, but I moved to Oklahoma when I was... (laughs) Moved from Kansas to Oklahoma when I was 14. And... uh, How'd you get there? Well, I hitchhiked. Yeah. And... uh, I had a baseball glove and a guitar, and I thought that was everything I needed for the rest of my life. As it turned out. Well, I made it, I made it back, but uh, discovered alcohol and uh, drugs and rock and roll and a whole bunch of things on that trip that really didn't help me too much. <laughs> but I managed to graduate from high school just barely, and I had an athletic scholarship, and... Uh, I ended up going to a Quaker college, and I I didn't know what a Quaker was, and uh, I didn't know it was a Quaker college. I just knew it was in Kansas, and they they were going to give me a scholarship and some money. So anyway, my first day there, I had gotten really, really drunk the night before, and uh, I came to about 10 o'clock in the morning with my phone ringing. And uh, I answered it, and there was a guy that identified himself as uh, Dean Williams. I'm thinking to myself, I don't know anybody named Dean. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 said, I said, do I know you? He said, I am the academic dean here at Friends University. We need to see you immediately in the administrative building. So I thought, man... I guess they're rolling the red carpet out for me. And, uh, <laughs> so I walked over there. I got, I got dressed, walked over to where uh, the building was and uh, found his office. And uh, he said, there is beer in your dorm window. And I said, yeah, I just moved in yesterday. Haven't had time to get a refrigerator. <laughs> 
And he said, sir, this is a Quaker college. There's no alcohol. There's no smoking. There's no dancing. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. What have I gotten myself into? <laughs> um, I had a very, very distinguished career as a college football and baseball player. But I was kicked out of school between my junior and senior year because of my lifestyle. And uh, ended back uh, in, in my hometown and, and, and just absolute rebellion. Uh, became a very violent criminal. And at the age of 23, I got clean and sober. And uh, my life changed dramatically from that point forward. I eventually found Jesus Christ, and uh, he became my Lord and Savior. And I got into the profession of helping people with alcohol and drug problems. I went back to school, graduated, went to graduate school, got my license to uh, counsel, and uh, I've been doing that now for 33 years. And to say that, so you, obviously we covered a lot of life in that time, but you at some point then end up at a, uh, in a professional organization. I mean, uh, the thing about drug and alcohol treatment is that there are plenty of options if you've got plenty of cash. Right. And, and if you've got insurance, it'll cover up the, you know, certain things, 28 days. And so, you know, you were making a good living, uh, living in a great neighborhood, a great town, Franklin, Tennessee. And at some point, you're going to go to uh, this old abandoned nursing home that was it best run down and serve, basically saying, hey, instead of getting paid a lot of money to do this, and I'm sure it came with a good health plan and dental plan, and say, instead, we're going to go to this thing and we're going to offer this treatment to uh, the, the people who can't afford it, the people whose daddies have paid for it 13 times and are now done, the people who are living on the streets alone and have no options, who can't possibly repay you for what you've done. And I've always wanted to ask you this question, what were you thinking? <laughs> well, it, it wasn't one of my goals. <clears throat> we had uh, <clears throat> started a small for-profit health care company. And uh, our first major contract we'd gotten, we put in an alcohol and drug treatment unit and a psychiatric unit down in Murray Regional Hospital in Columbia. And, uh, and God came to me one day and said, I want you to turn everything you're doing into a nonprofit ministry. I want you to help people for free. And uh, so I went home that night, told my wife that. And our first challenge became trying to find somewhere to do that. <clears throat> now, I'm very blessed that my wife has such incredible faith because I don't think many people could go home and say, hey, guess what? I saw a burning bush this afternoon. <laughs> guess what Jesus said? Then it started talking to me and uh, God told us to move to Egypt. So, but it, it, uh, it's all worked out. And God made a way for us to be right. able to do and what, that. And what year was that? That was 2000? 
1997. But it took until 2000 to get the building right. up and going to where we could uh, get a license. And so tell me about that conversation because you're, well, actually, let's start with this conversation. You guys are rolling into this thing, and you've got all the licensing done, which is important. And I think it's important to note that um, he's, I say he, we, because I'm on the board of directors. I have been for a while now. It's fully licensed. Um, there's actually federal funding uh, at the state level that, that is received, that's recognized. This is Christ-centered, inpatient, receiving federal dollars, which is honestly one of the reasons that we, it's important that we uh, are funding for the future because the differences with Obamacare right now, one of the conversations is, well, we just want to centralize that all into one place instead of decentralizing it into different places. And so that could change the future of, of this. But, but 15 years ago, you guys are rolling out. Uh, it's going to be the first week. You, you've got people about to be, uh, you know, come into treatment. Tell, tell us about that first week. Well, we had, <clears throat> we had gotten the man who owned the building to let us use it. And we had received a gift <clears throat> for $250,000 so that we could open. And one of our board members panicked the week before, uh, finding out and talking to one of his friends who was on the board of another treatment center, how many millions they were having to raise every year to keep that place open. So we called an emergency board meeting and convinced the board to take the $250,000 away from us. So... The week I, you're getting ready to start. Yeah. We, we had made commitments How, to people to work. How'd that call go to Bev? Oh, well... <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bev. Sorry. Bev is his wife. I don't think I've said her name yet. But. And, and Bev, stand up. I, I'd like to... She loves to have attention. To, uh, <laughs> But, but it was awful. I had to call the guy that gave us the building. Tell him what had happened. I, I felt I owed him that conversation and explained that the board didn't have confidence in me to be able to do this. They'd taken the money away. He said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, God told us to open on blind faith. And he said, son, that's some kind of faith. So we opened the next day, had no money, none. And uh, from that day forward, God. I don't mean to get your train of thought, but tell us about your first uh, your first staff, the uh, oh. ex mafia chef overnight guy. Well, when you don't have any money, you can't be real particular about <laughs> who you hire. And uh, I won't tell you his last name. His first name was <laughs> Giuseppe. <laughs> he. Uh, he had recently been released from the federal penitentiary in Leavenworth. He had bombed a federal judge's house. Some of you might be old enough to remember that in Kansas yeah. City, wasn't it? Yeah, it was yeah. in Kansas City. Fortunately, the judge and his family were not home at the time. But here's a sociopathic mafioso. And, and he is working like from 10 at night until 8 in the morning. And I'm working from 8 in the morning till 10 at night. He also cooks, but the only thing he cooks is pasta. So, and so I'm having to do all the treatment 
and uh, everything else that goes on. This guy cooks and watches the building at night, but I have to get our clients to watch him. And every time I go somewhere, I, I can't leave him there alone at the facility with them. So I have to load everybody up in the van and take them with me and park the van where I can watch the van. Take the keys. So, yeah. It, this was what the first year was like, as well as having to pray in the pasta. <laughs> Yeah, because they're not giving pasta away. You had to pay for it. Fortunately, it's cheap. And you survived. I mean, you basically and put the, yourself in his shoes. There's a man who lives in Cleveland, Tennessee, who's wealthy and who owns this property. And, and for all intents and purposes, it's run down and looked over, whatever. But it's his property, and it's worth a lot of money. And he's basically said, you know, uh, yeah, go ahead and use it. And we'll pay you rent, and you'll figure it out and... Which is crazy. If you're, if you're a businessman, what you know is you don't get rich spending your money, right? It's you being wise with it. So it's, you know, guys like that are not in the habit of just letting a guy say, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. God's going to have to figure it out. Can I move in tomorrow? Uh, and they did it. And that was 15 years ago. Tell us about seven years ago with that building. Well, I hadn't heard the sound of that man's voice from the time I'd made that phone call telling him that uh, we were going to open the next day. Didn't have any money. I would write him letters, periodically update him on what was going on. But he calls me up out of the blue and uh, says, I'll be there in an hour. And uh, he flew into Mount Pleasant International. Right. Which has a connection in, Lawrence, it's a connection in Lawrenceburg. Yeah. And, and uh, so he was there within an hour. And he came in, walked through the building with me. He had tears in his eyes, said he was so proud to be a part of it, and gave us the building. And it had been, See in how 1993, that <laughs> it, it had been appraised for $3.5 million. So, And then, and, and of course, in those early days, I mean, it's funny, he, God provided all you need. needed. You just, we, we redefined need a little bit. For instance, there was no air conditioning and no heat. Right. Which I would, t- I, I mean, if God and I were to talk about that, I would say that was a need. He went ahead and put that in, in the want category. But hundreds of people found freedom in Christ with no air conditioning and no heat up until three years ago? When was it? Two years Two ago. Two years ago. And the, the other miracle was every year the state randomly comes in and surveys the facility. They, they come in, they go through your finances, they go through the building for safety and uh, all of those issues, and uh, all the client records. And they always came in the fall and the spring. Well, <laughs> it was a little bit cool in there. So they never caught us not having heat in there. Yeah. <laughs> the whole new detox thing going on in there. They do that in Arizona. Yeah, it's funny. You, know, you guys that have been around Conduit a while know the, like this facility that we're in that God has just blessed us because he moved on the heart of you know, obedient people. And But I learned that from Mike. The, I, this, the entire premise is that we're, we, uh, we were going to be generous and be uh, men of action and women of action and give what God gave us, and then we just hope something neat happened. And... As it turned out, something neat happened for uh, Mike. And so there's like a trickle down, I guess. I don't know. 
hanging out because we, that was, when I look back on it, you know, realizing he did that for you, you know, he did it for us. It's not that we're special. We just were, he allowed us to be stewards. You were obedient and faithful. Yeah. And God takes care of his regular customers. <laughs> and you know what? He took care of us because we got an air conditioning in here. And he took care of you uh, because there's uh, heat and air conditioning right now in there. A half million dollar grant that came through is just. And it feels a lot better. <laughs> a lot better. There's a story that um, Marty Stewart, who uh, you might have heard of, if not your moms and dads have. Um, when he came to the end of his rope, uh, alcohol, and you might have seen the mugshot on the news. I mean, he was one more DUI here in town. And he talked to one of his colleagues and friends, and he said, uh, you know, I, I'm done, whatever. And his colleague said, well, look, I know of a place. Now, it's a crap hole, but it's God's crap hole. I'm editing that because there's children. But, but that's where Marty came and found freedom. And I bring him up not to, to name drop, but to say that the, to me, the beautiful thing, the foot before the, the, the ground in front of the cross is level. We're all on a level playing field. And so on, on the ground, on one side of the ground, you've got a guy who's internationally known. I mean, my mother, you know, loved Marty Stewart. And on the other side, you've got guys like Tony, who Friday night, if you were a teenager downtown with us or one of the, follow, uh, the leaders with us, Tony was at Place of Hope. Do you remember, do you remember him while he was there? Yeah, of course you do. Tony's paralyzed in his left arm and his, most of his left leg. He was hit by a drunk driver years ago. He, the irony was he actually got a ride home because uh, he was drunk that night in South Carolina. Got a ride home, a sober ride. Gets out and gets hit by a drunk driver, uh, hit and run, and was half paralyzed. And so he found freedom and, uh, from drugs and alcohol at Place of Hope. Gets out of Place of Hope, but there's nowhere to go. He's, if you're paralyzed on your left side and, you know, you're a, a convict and you've got, you know, drugs and alcohol in your background. So he came downtown last Friday night and he came because he knew that there'd be sandwiches there. He knew that, that the, the RV would be there and he knew that Mike would be there. And he came because he'd been sleeping on the ground for the last nine months behind an AA house on West End because there's no more room for him. When we went to go pick him up that night to get his stuff, his stuff was in a grill. He had like been storing it in a grill so it wouldn't get stolen and a couple things behind an air conditioner and then a bag in the bushes. But he came that night because he didn't have anywhere else to go and nowhere else to turn. And Why would you take him? Because he had nowhere to go. And <laughs> you can't look that in the eyes and turn your back on it. Jesus says, whatever you do unto the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it unto me. And I fear standing before him hmm. when he asks that question, what did you do where you were with what you had? When we picked up Tony, he actually was... He gets in the car, and I mean, he's borderline charismatic at this point. He's so excited. <laughs> and we're driving down West End, and he's, uh, he's like, I'm just so excited, man. I, my face hurts from smiling, and we were going to get his stuff. And, he was, and, I, and I couldn't even lie to him, because you know Mike, man. I, I look in those eyes, and I just, he knows if I'm lying, and so I can't even lie to him. And, <laughs> but then, you know, he comes outside of the AA house. He went in to tell his friends that he had a place to live, and he came out, and he was almost sobbing. I don't know if I told you this, um, because he was saying goodbye to his friends that had loved him for that period of time and sobbing because he made it out 
in his mind. And on the way back, he's on the phone with his mom. And I can hear him say, Mama, don't cry. I'm going to be okay. I've got a place. I'm not going to be able to call you for a while because they're going to take my cell phone away, which is true. <laughs> and he knows it. But I've got a place to go. And, and, and a guy like that, what's, what's the future for a guy like Tony? Well, the sky's the limit. Whatever God is capable of doing. Hmm. And uh, he specializes in taking the impossible and doing something extraordinary with it. And it's like Pastor was talking about those people that you support in Haiti. Only eternity will reveal what those meals really accomplished. Hmm. The kids that they helped, the lives that were changed by that Bible school. And somebody like Tony and the life that he ends up leading. I always think about what if we're scooping up the next Billy Graham? What kind of kingdom impact would that have? Hmm. You know, I, this was the first time it had occurred to me was this morning when watching that video in the front of the service. And, you know, you're looking at a building that everybody else looked at and thought, that's crazy. Uh, that's run down. It's used up. Forget about it. Let it, let it go. And you saw in the video, you said it, but you said, I looked at that and I saw possibility. I saw a possibility. And I think that it mirrors your life so perfectly. Because a guy like Tony, paralyzed on his left side, God only knows what he smoked, shot, used his whole life. He told me his daddy gave him crack for the first time at 17. And everybody else would walk by in the same way you walk by an abandoned building. You just start to get used to it and you just stop noticing it after a while. Tony told me I, when we went by an office I used to work at, the Lowe's Vanderbilt building. He said, you probably, I probably ask you for a dollar at one point in my life. And I thought, I wonder if I walked by him just like an old abandoned building and didn't see the possibility. But you see in Tony, you see in brothers and sisters, and it's something we all should see because it was what God saw. God didn't see an old abandoned, run down, used up, half paralyzed, street smart, druggy. He saw possibility. And in the building you saw possibility, but it's most important as you looked in the eyes of a guy that no one else wanted and didn't count, and you saw possibility. What is the story for you when you think back? And I don't even know how you do this and narrow it down. There's been so many of them. But what's, is there a story that stands out to you as one that, man, that's a success story that I just, it, in your down days, I think of that and it makes me happy. Well, I, I, was, I was just thinking about that, and I looked up and I saw two people sitting on the back row who attend your church here regularly. And, and one is a lady who nine years ago was in jail. That's how we met her. And she came into the place so got the help that she needed, went to MTSU and graduated, got her teaching license, and got each of her three children back one at a time and has been working at the Place Hope now for nine years. And an incredible inspiration. All of us who work with her, I've got about two or three right-hand people, and she's one of them. She's one of those people who we just couldn't do it without her. And uh, sitting next to her is a young man who 
everybody had totally given up on. And yet God turned his life around as well. That inspires me so much. And uh, just one of those people is enough to keep me going. Right. And I think that that's the... Um, so, a guy, I hope you don't mind me saying your name, but Jimmy. Like, Jimmy walks in a room and he lights it up. Like, I, he came over to Black Dog Market the other day. I was having lunch with somebody and he walked in. And that was, it just makes... I'm happy when I see Jimmy. Like, you have the gift of happy. You know? If you didn't hear me said years ago, nobody would have ever said that. Trust me. <laughs> and to see Dolores, who has uh, loved on my family, who's loved on brothers and sisters, to see what the way that God, what, what the enemy meant for harm, to steal her, to steal, to kill, and to destroy is now. I mean, how dumb are you if you're Satan to have done that to Dolores? You know, the payback is brutal for the enemy <laughs> from well, what she's doing now. Her, her daughter is... Uh Going to school at Ramah where you and Shannon went. And she has two young men that are just awesome. great, great kids. Yeah. And uh, just what a, what a story. So tell me the highlights of your life. But I know there are dark days too. I've, I've been in the trenches with you in some really dark days. There's no ground that's worth taking from the enemy that the, there's also not, you know, that's worth the enemy. He will defend it. If it's worth you taking the ground from the enemy, that means it's worth him defending it. And you have certainly uh, seen that over and over again. He's attacked from the outside, from the inside, from sideways, from upwards, and you continue to stand. But what, what is the, what are, what's the hardest days for you? What's, the, what's the, the moments that are just, man, I, you know. I can go on. When, when we get a phone call uh, that somebody we worked with has lost this fight and they aren't going to be able to have another chance, the thing about this chemical dependency, alcoholism, and addiction <clears throat> is it's chronic. Once you get it, you've got it. It's progressive. It's going to get worse and not better. And if you don't recover from it, you die from it. And so this isn't something you can counsel out of somebody or give them some medication. Either God delivers them or they die. This is a spiritual stronghold. People that are drinking alcoholically or using at an addictive level aren't doing it anymore because they want to. They're doing it because they have to because they cannot stay quit. So what we do is give them whatever time it takes for God to deliver and set them free. For them to have that transformative change by their mind being made new that Paul talks about in Romans 12. Yeah. And the, that's important because if you were to take insurance, one of the conversations we've had at the board level was, well, if we just take insurance, we wouldn't have to worry about money. If we take insurance and you're 28 days in, you're gone. Exactly. And no matter what. there's nothing magic that happens on the 27th day <laughs> that makes it okay for them to go on the 28th day. So it allows them, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, the financial support that you've, uh, and God has just been so, he's provided so miraculously. I mean, I've seen it over and over again. But it's why it's critical, because if we don't, 
continue down that road, and, and it's, of course, at some point, if, if the federal level, that money dries up, and maybe that's God's will anyway. I mean, it, you know, the last thing we need is them, and they're telling us how to do this. Um, tell me about... There's a mixed room in here this morning. Out of curiosity, if, you've, if there's been addiction in your own life or in a family member right now or somebody really close to you, there's, there's addiction, there's like whether alcohol or drugs, that's, you, know, you know that it's in their life and it's wrecking. And would you raise your hand? And I just would, I'm just curious to see how many, somebody in your immediate circle, almost half the room. What advice would you give for us? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're currently struggling with it. I mean, there are people out there, maybe right in our room, statistics would say somebody here this morning is. Uh, currently, whether it's painkillers or, you know, it's not just out on the streets like Tony. There's a lot of, you know, the, the, there's a lot of soccer moms right now. One of the newest drug fads right now is uh, soccer moms hooked on Adderall, trying to keep up with the super mom phase, trying to be uh, super mommy and start borrowing their, uh, their boys and girls Adderall, and before you know it, they're Xanaxing it, and then they're, you know, it's just this lost trade. And so in this world, if, there's, if that's somebody here that you're feeling that this morning, and I'm not just picking on soccer moms, I can go to dads too if you want me to. Um, what, what's your advice for, A, those who maybe are themselves in, in addiction, or you've got a family member and you are watching their lives slip away? What's your advice to them as well? Every room full of people has folks who are on alcohol and drugs, or know and love and care about somebody who's on alcohol and drugs. The main thing is there's help. But the second thing is reach out. Reach out. If you've got an alcohol or drug problem, reach out and get the help. If you know somebody's got an alcohol and drug problem, reach out and get the help for them. My phone number is 931 931- Two one five three zero seven two. Call me. We'll get you some help. And if you didn't get that number, placeofhopeinternational.com. And we'll have it posted on our Conduit Facebook page as well, the, the main number there. Um, someone like Dolores can get you, get you help. No charge. No charge. What's your advice for a family member with someone who's struggling with it right now? Don't give up. Don't give up on them. The guy who helped me, and I've been sober for 38 years, the person who invested in me was so influential in me quitting drinking. It took him 19 years to get one year of sobriety. When he passed away, he had 16 years of sobriety. And his message was, if he could do it, anybody can do it. Just don't give up. Keep trying. But reach out to get help, and uh, help is available. And if you're, I was going to say young person, if you're in this room and you haven't started yet and you're thinking, you know, this conversation about legalizing marijuana in this country is really the wrong conversation. Because the question is, why are you, why would you want to, whether it's smoking weed or, and by the way, if you want to ask, if you're the one group of people who says that pot shouldn't be legalized, go down to Place of Hope and ask every one of them uh, who's, because they all say it started the same way. But to me, this is the wrong conversation. The conversation, if you're doing it, you're doing it because you don't like the way you feel. That the way that I feel right now is not enough. And so whether it's stealing mom and dad's 
stuff, their painkillers or their drugs, or whether it's buying Tic Tacs from the locker next door. You don't like the way you feel, so if I do this, I'll feel different. And I say, you know, that's there's the advice somebody gave me a long time ago. Don't start something that you have to have a program to quit. It's oversimplifying it. But if it's that you don't like the way you feel, you're literally running down a road where you're still not going to like the way you feel. It doesn't fix anything. It's just a momentary thing. And so I would say that, you know, Jesus, a relationship with Christ, the, the fulfillment that comes from that, the abundant life that's found in serving others who can't possibly repay you, uh, on, on our Friday night, um, one of our fa- uh, church family members had just gotten really bad news about a family member's health and almost didn't go. But she went, you know, because you know why? Because what better place to go when you're suffering and alone and feeling down than to go and to give to someone who can't pay you back? It's, it's a, Jesus said, you, if you lose your life, you'll find it. He wasn't kidding. So I would invite you, if you're a young person this morning or an old person and you don't like the way you feel, that's a dead-end road for you. And to say to those of you that are, you know, as a church, uh, we're locking arms with a guy like Mike because the, the, the power of God unto salvation, the transforming power of the gospel means you don't have to live that way. Amen. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it's, it's a simple, not easy thing to do. And as the body of Christ, he didn't design us to walk alone. We get to do it together. And I know of no better place than to do it with Mike and Bev and, and Place of Hope. Mike, what's, our, what's the future? We have a board meeting tomorrow night. We're talking a lot about the future. What, what, what are you comfortable sharing with a room uh, full of conduits about the future? Well, several things. Uh, for 25 years, I've been working on two books. It's called Living His Life is working on his book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one is called Do the Next Right Thing, and it's biblical principles for successful living in 12 major life areas. And it's a book, anybody, anybody whose life is messed up, don't have to be an alcoholic or an addict. They can benefit from it. The other book is called The Healing Journey, and it's a practical Christ-centered approach to overcoming addictions. And uh, two things have to happen. God has to deliver somebody and set them free. That's his part. The person then has to recover, and that's their part. Hmm. And these books will explain step-by-step how to do that. The other two things, we'd like to make our teaching that we do every day at the Place of Hope available for free online to anybody in the world anytime. And we want to help as many people as we possibly can while there's still time and do it for free. And then finally, what we'd like to do is to start a school for Christian addiction counselors so they can go into their communities and get actively involved in helping alcoholics and addicts. Christ is the answer. What if somebody's sitting here this morning and wants, there were a few of them in our first service that they're so inspired they want to help. Obviously, financially is, is a, and I'm going to give you all an opportunity in a moment to uh, to donate to Place of Hope. If you would, just we'll write the check out to Conduit, put uh, Place of Hope in the memo line, and we'll. There's just going to be two buckets. I'm not going to pass buckets around, but there'll be two buckets down here if the Lord is leading to you. So we know that that's a way, and I will say that that's not to belittle that way because the, there's a, a, a picture that God gives us in Scripture that it's a principle that 
those who provide, if you're providing for the frontline warriors, that you are actually also blessed and rewarded just as if you were on the front lines. When Jesus said, who gives a cup of water to a prophet in my name, you'll receive the same reward. It's a principle that he's on. So by doing that, that's important for us. And so I'm going to give you that opportunity, uh, that this side of heaven, but the other side of heaven, when it talks about, I, I don't know what a reward is because it seems to me that heaven would be enough. But apparently there's something awesome. And if Jesus said it's awesome, it's going to be. So that's uh, available for you. But for, for the right now, if, uh, finances, of course, what are, what are practical ways people can get involved and help with Place of Hope? Like maybe even starting this week. Like what, what would you tell them? We'd like to tell people... Place Hope is like a 35,000-square-foot home with 35 people living in it. And so we need everything. We need everything from toilet paper to people to mow the grass, people to come in and cook, people to counsel clients, people to teach classes, people to bring discipleship classes in. Whatever you're gifted and talented in, we need that gift and talent and that skill. And, and what we will do, we will match you up with a volunteer opportunity that will bring joy to you and benefit to us. And we've, as a church body, there are those that already do it, Christy Enzer being one. Uh, Cortland has led a team uh, to help rebuild the welcome room in there. When you, first, when you walk in, it actually looked like Sanford and Son uh, used to. <laughs> like... Like couches that had been used, <laughs> and uh, the leaking roof, and yeah, yeah, like they'd have to put like the big buckets of water because they're going to be full by morning, and, uh, and so Cortland led a team of conduits, and they've uh, the welcome room looks welcoming now. So families who come to visit, it's comfortable when they're doing AA stuff, it's comfortable, and uh, and there are those, and Dolores has asked a few times of people that be willing to give up some time to mentor. Men and women. And I'm talking young men, old men. I mean, one of the, the most heart-wrenching things is to go to Place of Hope over Christmas and see the single moms who are there who are away from their families. and who you know. So there's opportunities if you're looking for a place. And I'd say this, especially if you're kind of down, if you're feeling a little lonely, if you're feeling isolated. I'm, I've got a plan that I, I have. You don't have to do anything for me. Go and just love some people who can't possibly repay you. And it's amazing what happens as you give, the Lord gives that the, the the promise when Jesus said, "Give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom." It wasn't talking about money. Look at the context of it. It was love. If you're giving out love to someone else, that's going to happen to you in a way that you can't possibly. The more you give, the more you get back. So there's a principle in that. We're going to pray for Mike and Bev. Bev, would you come down here? I would love to pray for you guys as a family. Um. Chelsea, I know you love attention. Would you come as well? One of the things I love about Mike and Bev is that they've, been, they've got three beautiful daughters. I have three daughters as well. We, did a, we made a half-court shot and uh, got a boy on the last one. He's eight now, the man-child. It's totally changed the testosterone. We probably should take that off the tape. Um, but we have three daughters, and one of the things I love about when you go to Place of Hope, or whether it's Friday night or whatever, is his, his, his girls are there. And these are, like, super smart and functional and well-adjusted kids. And I, I would say that it's part of it is because you've led well with leading your children by not daddy's going to work and doing something, but we're doing it as a family. And I think there's a picture of that that we all could learn from. Um, 
If our elders, I don't know which elders are in this service and your wives, would you join me as well? I'd love to, for us all to pray for the Coop family. And then, except in a moment, the buckets are going to be here um, to, to make it out to conduit, and we'll make sure that it's for, you know, Mike and Bev get it. We want to bless them personally. I'm a, a, a huge fan, I've become more of a fan over the years, that making sure that the generals are provided for while they're doing the work is a good thing. You know, the last thing Mike needs to be worried, you know, worried about when he's out there trying to figure out how he's going to take care of 35,000 square feet is how he's going to take care of rent this month. So we want to bless them as a family personally today. But, um, but as elders, I would... Um, Jared, I want to stay and talk to anybody who'd like to talk with me Okay. Dealing with addiction, family, whatever, you just want prayer, I'll be here as well. And we'd be glad to uh, put you on the right foot. But uh, Conduit Church, this is part of our church. This is, he's not here on a Sunday because they're normally at Nashville Recovery Church. Uh, if you remember, Shannon and I, uh, I don't remember, were you there the first Sunday? Actually, and Marty Stewart uh, and his band played that morning, and I've never heard the whiskey ain't working anymore in church, uh, but it was there that morning, and it was like, <laughs> Marty's like, I know you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> and they got, they got charismatic. It was awesome, um, but we love you, and we're honored to get to serve beside you, and, and my hope is that uh, ever-increasing opportunities to, as the door opened for us to, to love and to serve you and your family and what you guys are doing there. So would you pray with me? Father, we uh, are honored to, to stand with uh, the Coop family. Lord, I, would, I just ask for you to uphold his family, to protect his family, to guard his family. They've taken a lot of shots over these years. Stuff that I know about and stuff that I don't even know about. But I know you do, Lord. And I know that you have not forgotten. And I know that I've had a front row seat to seeing somebody who, when, all they could, when they've done all they could do to stand, they still stood. As an inspiration to me, as an inspiration to us. And I would ask that whatever plans that the enemy continues to have to thwart, that they would constantly be shot down, broken apart, that any fiery darts of the enemy are quenched. And that, Lord, as a church, you would give us more and more uh, wisdom and insight, not just with our finances, but with our lives and our hearts, to stand beside the Coop family, to stand beside you in the kingdom. It's for the Tonys of the world. It's for the Tims. It's for our brothers and sisters who everybody else looked over and said, No. You see possibility. Lord, let us see with the eyes of Jesus this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, gang, we're not going to end with a barn burner song this morning. But I'd love for you to walk out and just think, what is God saying to me? If you, if you want to talk to Mike, he's here. I'll be here for a while, especially if you need help. And if you say, man, I need help, but I'm too embarrassed to say anything, I get it. Call the church. Call my, my number or my email's on the website. Mike's is on the website as well. Uh, so if you're, you don't want to say anything here, I get it. I understand it. But there is, here's the thing. You're walking around and say, I don't have any hope. Even if you don't say it, you just feel it. There is hope, and I know where that place is. And if the only left reason you didn't do anything was because of money and I couldn't afford it, well, that reason's gone now too. The only reason left would be pride. And Mike talked about a a thing he called fatal pride. Don't let that be yours this morning. Father, I pray for you uh, to, to infiltrate our hearts, to move among us as a church body, to bring the freedom that you promised, 
the freedom that would come through transforming our lives through the renewing of our minds. And as a church body, I ask for you to give wisdom to those of us that are, whose family members are in this, for even those of us ourselves who are struggling with it, to give us the courage to make the change and to live in, to walk in the freedom that you promised us. You gave us this promise of this abundant life, and Lord, we want that. Would you show us what is standing in between us and that this morning? And it's in your name we pray. Amen.